You're listening to a podcast appearing on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Have you ever had the feeling of being watched? Hidden eyes following you, a cold chill crawling up your spine, the hairs on the back of your neck standing straight up. Do you know what that is? It's fear. It's fear. Fear is the most basic human emotion, tied into our instinct to survive. Fear gives us the means to overcome great odds or cripple us with paralyzing dread. But fear can also entertain. Turn off all the lights, lock your closet door, and ignore the sounds from beneath your bed. It's time for Two Guys Talking Horror. Family. Long gone are the days of the normal family unit. A father, a mother, two children, and a pet. It's common today for a family to have two fathers, or two mothers, stepchildren, foster children. Maybe your grandmother is raising you. Or perhaps there's no blood connection at all. The word family has many meanings, but at its core, it stands for one thing. Unity. The ties that bind are forged in friendship, and family is who you allow to be a part of your life. These facts are made razor sharp when blood is not an issue. Prepare to meet the Brothers Grimm on Two Guys Talking Horror. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, one of your hosts. I'm Jason Contini, one of your co-hosts. And I am Diesel Adams, one of your other co-hosts. That's right. On Two Guys Talking Horror, we've got three guys talking. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, that's right. Ooh, so taboo. On today's episode of Two Guys Talking Horror, I am elated to be able to have both of my brothers from other mothers with me. If you've listened to any of our previous podcasts, uh, I've introduced Jason to the world and Diesel to the world separately. But now, here we are, all three together, truly the Brothers Grimm. Boy, can they handle all three of us at one time? I'm not sure that I can handle all three of us at one time. No, no, no it's okay. I, I have faith in the people. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> That's yeah. why we call you Saint Diesel. Exactly. Oh, there you go. Just so we can ease people into handling the brothers grim we will this we will play a little game of getting to know you and give you a better perspective on who we are as the brothers grim so to keep things fair what we'll do is we're going to play a little round of lethal listings lethal listings that's right seven questions with the brothers grim each one of us We'll have an opportunity to answer each one of these questions truthfully and honestly, because 
truthfully and honestly, are exactly the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have to form our answer in the form of a question? No, this is not Jeopardy. Okay, all right, just checking. No, this is not Jeopardy, and you do not have to buy a vowel. Okay, well, that's really good, because I, 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 Yeah, I didn't bring any money for vowels. Well, that's good, because I've got no vowels to sell you. <laughs> okay, all right, excellent. <laughs> question number one. How were you introduced to the horror genre? Diesel. Oh, I'm going first? You get to go first. You're the guinea pig. All right, fine. I got introduced, thanks to my stepfather, God rest him. When him and my mother used to watch a horror movie, they called they were called nasty movies. That was the term for me. Nasty movies. Yeah, because of all the nudity and cursing and killing and everything. And if I tried to peek my head in, they like, no, that's a nasty movie. Don't, do, no, you can't look. Okay. okay, okay. All right. One day, my stepfather was watching Night of the Demons. And Ooh. Night of the Demons. That's a wow. There's a, that's one that you don't you don't hear a lot about these days. No, no kind of no. a cult classic that kind of got pushed under the rug. Yeah, never forget Night of the Demons. And I just happened to peek in like normal little kid. What you watching? And he looks at me. He goes, "Boy, come here, come here, no, come here, come here." Calls me into the room, puts me down, and it was the scene where the chick takes the lipstick and puts it into her breast. So Linnea Quigley, it's it's a scene where she puts her lipstick into her into her boob. Yeah. And Awesome. My, awesome. And my stepfather that's the first scene of a horror movie I ever seen. And my stepfather, he looks at me, he goes, All right boy, look at that. See that? That's Titty. <laughs> and Okay. And I'm like, Okay. Now we're gonna sit here and watch this and we're watching. Did that ruin you for life? Did you now think from, from that moment on that all women could push their lipstick into their titty? Yes. And are, and are we going to continue to say titty? Oh, you, you keep doing it, so I guess uh, Okay, so. that's fine. <laughs> Breast, titty, whatever. But I, I had to say titty because that's what he told me. Okay. 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 So no, that no, was, no. That's how the story goes. That's how the story so, goes. Yeah. Okay. okay. No, no, no. And it's fine. we sat there. We watched the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing there. I, ironically, I wasn't as scared as I thought I was going to be. Okay. And I guess he was shocked, too, because he just kind of looking going, you took that pretty well. I'm going, okay, so how come I couldn't watch this? <laughs> and that moment on, I watched whatever it, whatever it is I wanted to watch then because apparently I could handle it. Okay. So there's my introduction. Night introduction. of the Demons. Huh. All right. Jason. You know, I don't know if I can figure out exactly what the first introduction to horror was for me. I know that I've been told that if not the first, at least one of the first movies I ever saw as a kid was uh, the 1930s Frankenstein. It was okay. it 1931, I think? 31, yeah. By James Whale with Boris Karloff. And I, I grew up, as you know, uh, very much on the on the old Universal horror films, oh, yeah, the old yeah. black and white horror films. So I've been told that that's one of the earliest films I, I saw growing up just in general. I don't fully remember that. Mm-hmm. I would say that my introduction to horror might actually be literary, though. Ooh. And I and I can't place whether it's one or the other, but it's either the scary stories books. Scary stories to tell in the scary dark? Scary stories to tell in the dark. Okay. Which were just really creepy. And and every time we went to the library, we always had to get it. Because I always wanted to look at the pictures more, more than the stories. I think the mm-hmm. art in it was just so fantastic. And this abridged version of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein that I read as a kid, that I still have. It was a series of abridged, I won't say horror, but maybe sci-fi and supernaturally themed classic works of fiction that were cut down to about... 80 pages Your Reader Digest basically, versions of basically, it. Yeah, okay. yeah. I remember I got the whole set, uh, and it had Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Dracula, and there was, a, I think, The Invisible Man was in there, and I don't know, I can't remember what all was in the set. But yeah, the Frankenstein one, I think, was one of the first things I, I even recall reading. Hmm. And 
I think immediately solidified my fascination with that story in particular as probably my favorite horror story ever. But I, I would say it's going to be a toss-up between either Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark or um, a version of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, both, I guess, in film and literature. Right, yeah, yeah. All right. Double barrel of Frankenstein there for you. Bang, bang. For me, and I know I've told this story on this podcast uh, at least once or twice, uh, I remember the very first horror film my mother introduced me to was American Werewolf in London, which, again, by far the best werewolf film ever, ever in my I opinion. Would think, I would agree with you, yeah. Wolfman is great, but American Werewolf in London. I love Wolfman. I love great. Lon Chaney, and it's real close. But American Werewolf yeah. in London is pretty classic. Yeah, you 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 got my vote on that one. Yeah, one of the reasons why I was introduced that way is because at the same time there was a show on Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon, the channel Nickelodeon had just started. Lights, camera, action, hosted by Leonard Nimoy, showed you how they did special effects on film and television, which is great. The problem is, is that just because you're you're told that none of this is real and you shouldn't be afraid does not necessarily mean that that's going to happen. <laughs> no, that is the exact opposite. Actually. Exactly. <laughs> I, I I was uh, afraid of a lot of things, uh, spe specifically werewolves, thanks to an American werewolf in London. But that was my introduction to the ho the horror genre and, and it did not stop after american werewolf in london actually it progressed at a steady pace which actually kind of leads us to our second question question number two what scared you most as a child jason uh, for me as a kid it was always either ghosts or the notion of Freddy Krueger. I mean, if we're if we're talking about strictly horror themed, I'm, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of things like our basement at the house at night. Sure, <laughs> that scared mm, right, me as yeah. a kid. Certain, certain noise from the closet. Sure, you know, there's things like that that I think kids are scared of. But I think as far as the horror genre is concerned and aspects of horror storytelling, I would say both ghosts scared the crap out of me. I remember watching Poltergeist at a very, very early age, and yeah. that really kind of messed with my head. What a great film that is. And and Freddy Krueger, you know, Freddy Krueger was such a giant icon. He haunted you in when your I was, when you went to sleep. But, but when I was a kid, I didn't see those movies. I, I wasn't allowed to watch those movies until I had gotten a little older in middle school or into high school. So to me, Freddy Krueger was always just an idea. I had never seen the movies. I didn't know whether they really were or were not scary. I just knew that it was something I could not watch. And so, therefore, it must be blood-curdling terrifying. And just the, the sight of him scared the crap out of me as a child. So I, I would say Ghosts and Freddy Krueger. Now I think Freddy's great. He's one of my favorites. But, yeah, so that's, that's my answer. Very similar to yours, definitely Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger terrified me as a child, and it was my own damn fault, really, because I wasn't supposed to watch movies like that either as a child, but I did, because I was, I, well, let's fit, I was a little shit when I was a child. You still are. I, I, <laughs> There's nothing little about it. <laughs> right. Thank you. From, from both sides of the table. Way to go. I feel the love. I, I snuck in to the living room. And actually watched, unbeknownst to my mother, both Nightmare on Elm Street Part 1 and 2, back to back. Because that's when she and her boyfriend at the time were watching it. About how old were you? 
Do you, uh, do you remember? Let's see. Uh, well, it was just when part two had been released to VHS. So I want to say I was like seven. I was going to say, well, we're talking like around 86, 85, somewhere in uh, that, that area. 84 was the first one. I want to say the second one came out a year later. So then VHS, we're talking 86. So yeah, I'm I'm like seven years old and I'm watching these movies. And let me just tell you, after seeing these films, The Darkness, it, it, it was Freddy Krueger but it ultimately became I was afraid of the dark because you couldn't tell what was in the dark. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you really want to rationalize it, I wasn't afraid of the dark. I was afraid of what was in the dark. And personally speaking, I'm still a little apprehensive of what's in the dark today as an adult. But as a child, Freddy Krueger was the bane of my existence, but also just the silent darkness of a bedroom at night. Oh, it's my turn now? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. What All scared right. you as a child? Again, I, I, ironically, my stepfather brought this to me. Okay. And it was... There wasn't really much that scared me until my stepfather did this. And that was... He didn't want me to be a punk. Okay. He had this cutout of the cover from Friday the 13th 5 final chapter with the Jason mask and a pool of blood with a knife in a socket. That's part four. Part four. Final chapter. Part four. Final chapter. Okay. Okay. All right. And he had this cardboard cutout of that mask and he says, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tape it until the inside of your bedroom door. And if you take this down, your mom (laughs) is going to whoop you. I'm like, huh? This has to stay up there. So I will go to bed at night and the way my bed was positioned, I can always see that at the door. And it also glowed in the dark. So I see Jason's mask kind of bouncing around when the air was on, just floating there in the dark. I didn't sleep for three days. (laughs) I bet. It was up there for a week. Then finally, he comes in after about a week, and and I'm just in my room playing around. He says, want me to take that down? I said, no, I'm good. And so you got over it then. Yeah. But if you wanted to know what scared me, it was honestly Jason. Because he could kill you with anything. Yeah. So so, so Jason for you, Freddy for us. Two, two Freddies and a Jason here, huh? Yeah, That's a, well, that that actually reminds me. I actually had a poster of Freddy at one point in time. This is years later. I'm a young teenager by this time, and and since we're being honest here, I was a bit of a punk during this point in time because I put the still po- are. I get you've already used that <laughs> joke. It's still good. Ugh. Yes. I, I've I've put I put the the poster up to where it actually faced me in bed. I actually bunk. I had a set of bunk beds. My sister slept below me. I was like twelve. I had the top bunk. It was just before I got my own room. And that poster that poster taunted me for three nights until I finally convinced my mother that we had to take it down because it was scaring my sister. Oh, so you threw her under the bus on it, huh? Uh, well, my mother, my mother didn't really question it, but I needed a, an out. I needed an out because <laughs> I was supposed to be the guy who loved horror movies, and I wasn't afraid of this stuff. Yet I was still at twelve years old. I was still afraid of this stuff. I was still afraid of this stuff well into my teens. But we'll get to that maybe later. I, I understand something being in your room and giving you the willies. Unfortunately, I, I was a punk. Because I had to take it down, and, and Diesel, you were able to overcome your fear, so congratulations. Yeah, what's cool? Yes, thank you. I'll do that, <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll take that victory. 
question number three. What scares you the most now? Mom. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Diesel, Diesel, you want to take this one? Diesel, what scares you the most now? As an adult, what 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 scares you? Told you. Mom. Your mom. <laughs> hey. <laughs> your mother is a scary person. I totally get it. Uh, I would have to say the, believe it or not, ironically, even though a lot of people will say that they, they, they will deny it. I don't care. The looming idea of the coming apocalypse of a post-apocalyptic desolate world. You're afraid of the end of society as itself and, and yes. a dystopia type of a, a yes, living. I am. I, I'm, I'm be honest with you. I am. Because, no, no, no. I don't no, no, Because I've grown accustomed to, I got two words for you that people don't really realize that they're going to miss and need when this happens. And you may laugh, but it scares me. Indoor plumbing. I was going along that route. I was going to say toilet paper, but yeah, um, yeah okay, plumbing. I get you. I'm actually more afraid of not having the toilet paper for the outdoor plumbing but st- that I'm going to have yeah. to have. Yeah, and yeah. then, you know, and when's the, la- uh, when's the last time you had a shower? Today. What about you? Today. Me. Today. How long can we go without a shower? Guess what? We're going to have to go weeks. Well, no, it? yeah, yeah. I mean, you watch some of those those end-of-the-world movies, those post-apocalyptic films. Yeah. yeah. I mean, hell, you watch The Walking Dead. Do you think they get to take a shower every single day? Do You know, when they were on the road, they didn't get to shower every day. They didn't even take, get to take a bath every day. Yeah. No, I, so, yeah, the looming possibility or not possibility, inevitability of the end of the world. It scares me because, I'm be honest with you, I don't. I'm not prepared for it. I don't have it in me to be that to be able to survive like that. I don't. So. Okay, I want to change my answer because that freaking terrifies me now. <laughs> <laughs> What's your answer? What What frightens me now? Well, after a handful of actual personal experiences, the one thing that really does terrify me is. I don't want to say ghosts, but knowing that there are certain forces in the universe that are not friendly, that are benevolent, and could at any point in time, given the opportunity, take hold and ruin your life. I am afraid of spirits, uh, uh, inhuman spirits, to be more specific. I know that sometimes the noises that are made in the darkness are not made from an old creaky house or pipes settling or things like that. I know that sometimes those noises are made something otherworldly and that I don't like feeling helpless. That's my thing. And against things like that that you can't see that are more of a a feeling and an idea even, an ideology to even go further, to not have any kind of real physical defense against that terrifies me. Now, just a real quick before we keep going, to add to the whole noise in the house, I actually mm-hmm. have a little story that's on that, that makes, and I believe you, there are such things as other forces out there. They are there because when I was living back at home, I was a young adult, I was in the basement, mm-hmm. and cut the basement lights off, it's pitch dark, you can't see a thing, and... I can tell you for a fact, I looked over, my eyes were open, and I heard a little something. I looked over, and I see a shadow. It's not there. It's a shadow. I'm going, okay. I reach out to kind of see, because I thought it was, I thought it was my little sister playing a joke on me. So I reached out, and something, and it's, I have something smacked my hand. I I turn around, look, 
I didn't hear any footsteps, nothing. But that shadow was gone. Creepy. Yeah, that would creep you out for sure. Yeah. Just to add to that and to kind of support, there are other forces. I have a handful of stories that I won't share now, but maybe at a later date in a future podcast, I, I definitely would have no problem sharing. But yeah, I've I've experienced a handful of things that have... proven to me at least beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are things that do creep day or night they're there whether you want to see them or not jason what scares you you know i think i'm going to flip-flop from the answer that i gave of of being as a child and instead of going with the uh, film and and literature and and genre answer i think i will go more real life here you know i think real human evil I think scares me more than anything else. What we see in the news. What man is capable of. What man is capable of, yeah. What we see in the news on kind of a daily basis. And and I don't care what anybody's political stands are or whether different acts are being perpetrated by different groups or different extremist groups or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's still all evil. It's still all horrible. And it's still man doing horrible things to other, other men. And, you know, that does kind of seep into entertainment in, in the form of things like Hannibal Lecter and Norman Bates and, and even, you know, further into things like Seven. And so it certainly is represented in entertainment and in the arts. But I think for me, the thing that is most terrifying is the way that we treat each other. Mm. Or the way that people are capable of treating each other, the I evil, should say. The evil of yeah. man. Yeah. That, yeah, that's absolutely terrifying. It frightens you that, that somebody you could be you work with every single day has this capability inside them to just do unsightly, un, unthinkable to you bodily harm to another person for pretty much no reason. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and as a matter of fact, to even go into more of the entertainment stuff, just to kind of illustrate it, I, I recently just watched the remake of Last House on the Left. I had not seen the remake yet. I, I won a, a copy of the DVD at a holiday party I went to a couple of years ago, and it's been sitting there on the shelf, and I just never got around to watching it. And I thought, well, I'm home all day, and it's kind of rainy. What the hell? Let's put it on. Right. You know, and it was, as far as a movie goes and as far as a remake goes, it was whatever. I mean, there could be a whole discussion there. But just the the idea behind, and, and this is in the original as well, just the idea behind what these people do, and there's no demons, there's no monsters, there's no undead, living dead, man-made creatures, <laughs> lichens, nothing like that. This is These are just people. Right. And of course, you know, the remake being more modern, you know, they can get away with a lot more, and they can show a lot more, and there's a couple of scenes that are pretty brutal to watch, and it's just... Certainly not my cup of tea as far as a movie goes, um, yeah. but also too. And you're sitting there watching it, and you go, you know, well, wow, this this is not this happens yeah. in real life. This yeah. happens today, and that uh, to me is almost more terrifying than anything that else. That uh, I spit on your grave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the expl. Well, I mean, and those have all been remade too. The quote unquote exploitation horror films, which and that's exactly what they were. They were. Human beings doing horrible things to other human beings, whether it it, it was we were really seeing the evil of man, and of of, of course that, just for fun, you too. That's the worst part. Well, and that's usually how it is. It's either for their own pleasure or to make a statement. 
whether it be say political, their own personal propaganda in some way, right? Whether it be political or religion or whatever, it's either to make a statement or just because. I'm sure there's other reasons, some oh, but those men, are the two most popular reasons to do some men horrible things. Bird. Exactly. Yep, there it is. Yep. Question number four. What is your favorite type of horror, Mr. Nicholas? What's my favorite type of horror? Well, the problem is I go back and forth on this. I've always been a firm believer in facing what, what scares you, facing your fears. So in that sense, I will watch a lot of films that deal with the supernatural and like Exorcist, I believe The Exorcist is by far the most terrifying book and film I have ever seen. Yet I will make myself sit down and watch and read the film and the book once a year. Director's cut or? <laughs> oh, uh, director's cut. Uh-huh. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta have the director's cut. You're you're kind of cheating yourself if you don't have the director's cut. But on the other hand, where let's say the the more made up horror is concerned, out of all the monsters that exist in cinema and literature, zombies, man, zombies scare the crap out of me because look at it this way: vampire, he bites you on the neck. You're either dead or you turn into a vampire. So you know you live forever, look good, spread the curse. Yeah. Vampires are that way. The the werewolves are the same way. You either you either die or you, you turn furry a couple of nights every month. Uh, okay, I can deal with that. Zombies, man, freaking creep me out. <laughs> I wish I wish everybody could see the look on your oh, face yeah. right now. <laughs> they do because here's here's what this is what happens to you. you because you, you get, see the fear in his face. You get uh-huh. you get ripped apart, and if there's anything left over. After the feeding frenzy that is performed upon your body, you get back up, but it's not you. It's this shell of you that goes out into the world to feed and forever. Spread the, and spread the curse. It's, it's, Aren't those called millennials? Yeah. No. See, yeah. Now, now, here's the thing. <laughs> uh, to add to that, from Land of the Dead, John Leguizamo, when he said, I want to see what the other side is like, part of me is kind of that way. I kind of part of me kind of wants to see that doesn't surprise me at all. Diesel. <laughs> well, yeah, but when you look at you look at what Romero eventually led his zombie films to be, yeah. zombies became a subclass. There was some there was something left over inside yeah. of them. Right. Whereas if you look at other zombie films, and I love everything that Romero does. Some people have issues with it, and I, I can put certain not things perfect. Not every not everything that Romero's done is perfect. Others are, you know, classics you can't touch. Some of it are, eh, we can debate about that. But I'm talking more along the lines of of just pure unadulterated zombies. Think of Dawn of the Dead the remake. Oh, Think of You knew that was going to strike a chord to me too. Oh, that I that love is that one. I love that movie, but I hate that movie because it is a zombie film that can still scare me. Yeah. Even to this day, there, you know, there are, the there are that ten me the most, scenes. The, the scene that scares me the most is the one where they're trying to get in, and you see all the zombies run, and they all gang up and stop at the bottom of the stairs. That's that scary. moment of just anticipation where you know, oh, there they are, and they see you, 
And they're about to pound. Yeah. No, I'll yeah. tell you, I saw that movie when I was living in L.A. I went and saw it at the Arclight Theater down in Hollywood. And after the film, the film was great. I, I loved it. It's one of my favorite yeah. horror films, certainly one of my favorite zombie films, but one of my favorite all-time horror films. You know, we saw a late show. And there was only about, I think, ten of us. We went as a group, and I think we were the only ones really in the theater. And after the movie got out, it was about one thirty. And L.A., L.A., it's not quite New York. It's not quite the city that, that never sleeps. But there's always something going on in L.A. It's mm. just too big to, to shut down at any kind of time. Right. That movie got out, and we left the theater, and we had parked on the top of the parking garage right next to the theater. And so we were walking to the parking garage. The city was silent. Oh. It was Ooh. silent. And there was not a soul around, and it and it happens in L.A. That does happen, but it's it's kind of rare that you come across these occasions. This one just happened to occur happened right, right after, after we saw Dawn of the Dead. Right, and I'll tell you that one was your, one of the scariest zombie. Movies. Oh man, that that messed with my head. I was like, oh my gosh, are we? Uh, yeah. <laughs> should we get rolling? <laughs> Son, we so, just crossed the street. <laughs> So basically, it's uh, it's a toss up between either supernatural horror or zombies. But I would I would probably go uh, the supernatural horror is what really it's what scares me. But my but I enjoy being scared by watching zombie movies. So if I was going to answer the question, make a long story short, too late. Thank you. My favorite type of horror is the zombie genre. All right, Diesel. Favorite type of horror? Supernatural. The ghosts and the spectral. And yeah. I love those mm-hmm. because it's not even, here's the thing, I don't care about the people and what they're trying to do. And I hate the whole found footage thing. We'll get into that later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I don't care about them. I actually really care about why this ghost is killing everybody. And, of course, the fact that this ghost or this force is killing them, of course, because... There are so many people in those movies I go, kill, 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 <laughs> kill, kill, kill. Please, please. Oh, I can't wait for you to die. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, oh, goody. You just made me a happy man. Thank you, spectral ghost. What, you, you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you be better off enjoying the, the torture porn stuff than more? Because those people uh, actually do die. You know, you watch stuff or like the slasher monsters who go see, after yeah, and kill yeah, see, body now, count. Now and... you're trying. Now you're confusing me. Just, just because you were confused, doesn't mean you got to confuse me, man. <laughs> I am not confused. I was conflicted, but I made a choice. Okay, fine. You know what? <laughs> this is why I can't say torture porn because of Hostel Two, the end of that one. Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen Hostel Two. A main character gets his genitalia cut off. And fed to a dog. And fed to a dog. So that's why Diesel doesn't care for that. I never watched anything past Hostel 1. Don't. So I, I didn't, I, I didn't don't, see that. But I like the... See, now you got I'm me. more of a Jigsaw fan anyway, so... See, me too. See, now you got me thinking... <sighs> so now you really, you, you really don't know what is your favorite type of horror. No, I know. You know. I know. What is it? It's going to have to be... Torture porn. I like it. Okay. okay. I like hey, you know, and the thing is, there's nothing really wrong with that. I like. I really don't care it. for that that name. I mean, torture porn makes it sound like it's bad 
Yes, it makes well. It makes it sound like a, a, a nasty. It's a nasty movie. It makes it sound like it's a nasty movie. Yeah, it does. But not all films that fall into the genre of good of stories, like yeah. in Saw. Saw. The first Saw was oh my god, that blew me away. That was a brilliant film. Yes. Uh, me and my ex-wife, we saw that, and that became like a tradition. Every year, we saw Saw in the theater. Well, because there, every year there was a new Saw. In yeah, the but it was just, but it, it was just our tradition. Right, right. But I mean, because because the first one was just it was great. So yeah, you get good. Sometimes you you can get a good story out of them, and that's pretty pre- predominantly what I like. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the other reason why my favorite, my well, a former favorite was supernatural stuff. Because again, you find out the story behind of why this force is evil and killing. So you enjoyed the supernatural stuff that that focused more on vengeful spirits, yes, than just. A ghost story. Yes. I mean, you know, Poltergeist, that was just some messed up stuff happening in a yeah, location. That was, that, that's just... Uh, yeah. But then there's there's other things where like you actually... Amityville. Ha- Amityville. Well, I mean, if you watch the remake of Amityville, they actually created a force, a an evil, the, the, the reverend yeah. that was responsible for all the torture and pain and suffering in that area, the foundation of the house. That makes more sense than just... Well, to quote Samuel L. Jackson in the movie 1408, it's an evil fucking room. Okay. Oh, I so, love 1408, too. Yeah. 1408 but, was great. But, but yeah, so... So, torture porn. Nothing to be ashamed of about that. Jason, what is your favorite type of horror? You know, again, it's it's so hard to just say that one thing is my favorite over here. Oh, no. Well, now, now you just feel, um, it's the hot seat. How's it feel? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and you've had all of this time to actually mull it over too. So yeah, I still don't have an answer. Though I was listening to you guys. I was uh, like, uh, yeah. Um, like you guys, I I have a big fascination with the supernatural, and I love ghosts, and I love ghost stories. You know, The Changeling is mm. one of my all-time favorite horror films. It's just so so creepy. Uh, yeah, but it's hard for me to pick because I absolutely love the Universal monster movies. Mm. I absolutely love them. The original Mummy is so creepy with Boris Karloff. The original Dracula is so well done. It's so atmospheric. I love the lighting. And it's so slow. It's it's a slow it's burn. Yep, yep. It's a slow burn, each one of them. And, you know, and they focus on characters, and they focus on dialogue. And at the same time, throughout all of it, they're they're putting in their own little messages and their own little... I mean, well, they, they always refer to the Universal Monster movies as morality plays right but they're they're just fun too and if you think about it and if you really look at it i i know and this is a little off topic perhaps but i know a lot of people really uh, love the marvel movies of today and i do too i i'm a huge fan i know all three of us are big fans of right, the yeah. marvel movies and the marvel movies have kind of changed the way summer movies are done and movies in general because now everything has to be a part of a shared universe. Uh, and it's yes. almost like it's almost like the idea of a shared universe had never been done before marvel movies came along and did it. And now we've got the transformers shared universe and the star wars shared universe and everybody's got a shared universe now. Well, back in the 1930s and 40s, the universal monsters crossed over with each other. And Frankenstein meets Wolfman, I believe, actually was the first one that, that kicked it off. Yeah. And then they all started doing it. House of Dracula, House of Frankenstein. There were, there were so many. They just kept crossing over these these monsters. And they were in a shared universe. And there is a loose, it's very loose, but there is a loose continuity to them. All leading up to 
Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, which kind of caps off the the run. Hmm. And um, really? in a, in a sense, yeah, there was a wonderful article, and I wish I could remember now who wrote it. I do have a copy of it at home, but there was a wonderful article written by someone about ten, twelve years ago, and he sat down and he figured out exactly how all of these Universal monster movies connect. But if you if you watch the films, and I will get the actual films where these events take place wrong, and I'm just saying that up front, but let's say at one moment Frankenstein's a monster and whoever was the mad scientist in that film end up being pulled into, I believe, quicksand. And that's how they defeat the monster and the mad scientist at the end of that film. Whatever the next film was, even if it focused more on Dracula or Wolfman or whoever, when they found the creature, they found him underground in this pit holding a skeleton. So even then, they were taking into consideration where did our monster leave off last, Mm. even if it wasn't part of that monster's series. It was a shared universe. Now, it's very loose, and it doesn't connect the way Marvel movies do. But it, yeah, it, and I just, I love that. I it, it makes the whole thing so rich and so fun. And so I, I think as far as newer stuff, I'm going to have to go with the supernatural and the ghosts. But as far as overall, man, I can pop on an old Universal Monster movie right. and I get sucked in no matter what. Actually, the we, thing about that, the touch on that, that sounds a lot like what American Horror Story is doing. They said, regardless of the all the seasons, because you're familiar with the show. And yeah, every season's different. Yeah. But they all connect. In ways that are either evident or not so evident, yeah. Yeah. I've only watched the first three seasons and eh. Some of it's good, some of it's I, bad. Trust me, I can I, I, I can feel your pain on that one. And again, that's a whole other show. But I see that they're trying to do something along that those lines. So maybe that's probably where they got it from. Because well, it's the whole shared universe mentality that seems to be seeping into everywhere. I mean, well, it's, it's happening. Well, technically, Universal happened. Universal is doing a shared universe yep, now. They are. They are rebooting their classic monsters in a shared universe. It's already it's already started. Tom Cruise is going to be in the Mummy movie, which is supposed to kick all of this off. And the You've rumor got, is is that he's playing Van Helsing, and that he is the connection. Now, now I don't which, know. If that's I a don't rumor, know why but. Van. I, well, I mean, if he is Van Helsing, I don't know why the hell he's in a Mummy movie, but. Okay, but then you've also got Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp has signed on. He is playing the Invisible Man. Yeah. Okay. And now, current rumor control, as of right now, Universal is eyeing Dwayne The Rock Johnson to play the Wolfman. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Yes, that is, that is the rumor. Nobody okay. signed any contracts. Uh, that's not okay. a bad idea. It's not a bad idea if they pull a, a classic Incredible Hulk, Bill Bixby, into Lou Ferrigno. Because if you've got small, let, let, let me just say uh, Steve Buscemi. If you've got Steve Buscemi is uh, Larry Talbot. And then when the moon is full, he transforms into Dwayne the Rock Johnson. That size, that shape with the the hair all over Well, him. I mean, with you know, with technology nowadays, you could do like Captain America. You could get a smaller person and put and Dwayne true. Johnson's and, face and, on and, him. And, uh, but uh, Central Intelligence, the, him, the Rock's movie with Kevin Hart, the beginning of it is uh, the story is Kevin Hart's the popular jo- popular jock. Yeah, The Rock was the fat nerdy kid. And, he was wearing a fat suit. Yeah, yeah. So the, the the thing the the reason why I bring that up though is because since the Wolfman remake was panned by critics so much for its use of the CGI, sure. there, the there Anthony is, Hopkins one. Yes, okay. Anthony Hopkins uh, and and Benicio del Toro. That one was panned. I I enjoy it. Oh it's yeah, still, it it's great. an all right movie. It's not great. 
I loved it. But it was fun. Could have been better, and I understand why critics would pan it because of the of the over excessive use of special effects. You don't need you don't have to do it that way. That's why I suggest, hey, do it the old Incredible Hulk, Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno thing. You do it something like that, mix it with special visual effects with a little bit of CGI, and maybe people won't complain so much. But, you know, people are still going to complain. <laughs> Question number five. What do you dislike in the horror genre? Diesel. I hate this found footage stuff. I hate it. Because they're, I understand, they, they want to do it because it's cheap and easy to do. Costs less money. But like anything, too much is too much. Right. And, and I find it so hard to believe. Yes, it's a movie and there's something chasing you, this and that. But here's the thing. When you're running from your life and you're scared to death, are you really going to keep a camera and want to keep taping? No. Exactly. You exactly. are going to want to stop. But all of a sudden, they want to keep taping. And the other thing I hate, and we all know, yes, horror movies do not typically have the best acting, but in these found footages that I've been seeing and everything, it's all the same dialogue. It's, what the fuck is going on? F this, F this, F this, F out of here. We got to get the F out of here. We got to do that. We got to, constantly, constantly. Lack of creativity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. There is a lack of creativity. There is a lack of creativity in these movies. There's no... They took something and didn't run with it. They took something and put it in the garbage disposal and then ate it and then shit it out. And didn't they, it they, to the took, they took an idea that could have been very... That actually is interesting and then beat it like a dead horse over yeah. and over and over again. I agree with you. The found footage genre, subgenre of horror is played out there are a handful of exceptions where it it does work yes. and i will bring up one which is my probably my favorite quote unquote found footage film diary of the dead it was basically yeah. romero's way of remaking night of the living dead for a modern audience where the modern audience is obsessed with with film with with actually filming things yeah. and capturing things on in pictures and in film and it made sense for the character, the film the main character of the film, the filmmaker, to keep a camera rolling because he even says in the movie, if it's not caught on camera, it's like it never happened. Well, and again, with a film like that, the whole point of the film was not to show us something new with zombies or, or to do right. some sort of new horror film. That purpose of that film was to make a... Social commentary. Very clear... Yeah correlation between what is wrong with the world and and technology and the advancements right. of technology and where we are and how we're stuck with social media especially i'm surprised yeah. that we haven't gotten a real hardcore social media centered um, no, horror no, film no. Yet. Uh, uh, unfriend i i don't i, I don't I've know that never, film. I've never it's, seen any it's literally it's that's what it is it's one it's a movie it's a horror movie. well then then i would i would say then to to rephrase the question i'm surprised we haven't gotten a major budget uh, social Main. media film with a major release. Mainstream um, opening it up. It sounds, on a yeah. Now, it sounds yeah. like this is a film that probably does atta attack the subject, but um, it but it just it really it unfortunately it really got it, buried. The whole thing really takes place on like video chatting and skyping once these teenagers and ah, okay. okay. But the well on the found footage thing, my favorite one of of the found footage was and still is the first paranormal activity. Okay. That right. made sense. 
they were taping because, okay, something's happening, and I need proof that this is happening. So keep a camera rolling, yeah. Yeah. Totally. That I can understand. Okay. It makes sense in the movie. But when you got some people, some teenagers, usually typically teenagers, mm-hmm. who decide they, they want to just tape themselves doing a, on a vacation or something, and then something happens, but they want to keep taping and keep the tape going. Yeah. It, it does. It doesn't really make a, a hell of a lot of sense. Because I'm sorry, if I have something in my hand that's a, an object that I can use to hurt something or somebody or throw to make help me get away, I don't care how much it costs. See you later. I'm running. Okay. All right. What about you, Nick? Me. What do I hate? What do I dislike in the horror genre? I was say, Is there you, anything that you? Because I'm going to say, if you say what what do you hate? That's uh, we got a while. Well, that's why I didn't I didn't phrase it that way. It's dislike. That's why I said it again. Dislike. <laughs> I don't really want to use the word hate. Really, it's not a spe- it's not a specific thing like a type of film or genre or anything like that in horror. I don't I don't like being treated stupid. I don't think just because you're doing a horror film, you should treat your audience like they're morons. Give me. I'm. I'm not saying I have to have an uber intelligent horror film, but come on, don't don't treat me like I'm a five year old. So in a sense, sadly, because because we've been there, you and I, Jason, we've been in the ultra low budget horror film. A we, few. We've, we've been. You've been in a few. I've been. You and I have 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 done one together. It seems like when you're dealing with a small almost non-existing budget you don't pay attention to story and you pay more attention to your gags your gore factor it's how do we get to the next kill and then make that as elaborate as possible and we it seems like they because i've watched a lot of those ultra low budget horror films and i have not seen many that are story driven you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here in the middle of your answer and give my answer okay. only because my answer is almost exactly the same as yours. Okay. In the sense that I, I don't I don't like a lack of creativity and I don't like it when filmmakers don't follow through. Mm. And I don't mean follow through with story, I mean follow through with their production. You got a scene with that is supposed to be at a party and the filmmakers only got two or three of their friends to be in the crowd. That's not a party. That's, that's not, not a party. That's not a group of extras. That's not following through. You did not follow through and get people to fill that room for that scene. Right. Unfortunately, like you say, that ends up bleeding heavily into story. There's not a lot of creativity or follow through in story. And as a result, yeah, we end up getting schlock. And I think, you know, a lot of these micro-budget, uh, no-budget horror films, they, they tend to go there rather than rather than focusing and making the story solid or the script solid or the characters at the beast, or, or even just the dialogue. Or even a um, makeup. Like, if you could make a... And that's, yes, and that's another thing. They, they do, they tend to not follow through with the effects. They'll put all their focus on the gags yeah. and the murders and the deaths, but there is no focus on... Okay, let's make sure that that blood looks like blood. No, we're just going to make it look like it's 
water with red food coloring sometimes. Let's, you know, let's really... If their purpose is for, you know, a commentary type thing or as we're doing a spoof, that's fine. Well, and again, if if that's what you're setting out to do, that's different. But I'm talking about your basic micro-budget horror film that generally just does not... They don't follow through and, and they, they don't... Like to use, and a, perfect, to ex- a perfect example of the reverse of this, of somebody who had no money but focused on telling a great story without setting up gags. Toby Hooper, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There you go. That movie that that movie had almost a non-existent budget. Still considered one of the highest-grossing independent horror films to this day. And very little blood shown in that film. It was all pretty much very cerebral. Why? Because you focused on the story. You introduce the characters, you introduce the scenario, and you let it build and build and build. And then all of a sudden, you've got this crazy guy wearing uh, somebody else's face chasing you with a, a chainsaw. Yes, that works. So if Toby Hooper can do that in the early to mid-70s, why can't filmmakers today be able to do that? I might actually watch more. I might actually watch and enjoy more micro-budget horror films if somebody would actually pay attention to the story and not worry about catering to the demographic that just wants to see blood and guts and boobs not saying that there's anything wrong with blood and no. guts and boobs no I just... i'm just saying there's more than just and blood and guts and boobs and another thing to add to that we know we know somebody that does makeup for movies and everything and they they do a really great job and Rachel Reichenberg. Yeah, yeah, you don't have worked. To, you worked with her in, uh, on, in Shadowland. Uh, Shadowland for yeah. Right. pictures. Yeah. yeah. So even then, with such a small budget, you can just say, you know what? Let's just focus on making sure whoever is doing the killing or whatever, we make the makeup good and focus on the story. You can do that. Well, with, actually, with, you kind of had to do that again yeah. with your with your it's, with it's Wyatt Reed like, and the production that Pirate Pictures put on. You kind of had to tell a really interesting story because you didn't have the tons and tons of money to be able to do all those special effects. But keep in mind, too, that that, that, that's not really fair to compare Shadowland to those other films, because even though Shadowland is technically a micro-budget film, it has... Five, six, seven times the budget. No, some true. of these micro budget, yeah. some of these micro budget films that come out have twenty or ten thousand dollars. Well, again, some of this them is have not like five hundred. Some of them have budgets. yes, five hundred dollars. <laughs> you know, this is not a horror film. But Nick and I recently finished shooting and releasing Four Color Eulogy, which we co-wrote and co-produced and, and co-starred in, yeah. also with Wyatt Weed and the folks at Pirate Pictures. Mm-hmm. That film is a micro-budget film. That yes. film was shot for around fourteen, between fourteen and fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, um, the entire film. We did not have the budget to do anything crazy or wild or or anything like that. So what did we do? We focused on the story. We focused on the characters. We focused on the acting. We focused on making the visuals look right. You can still make a micro-budget horror film mm-hmm. for. Ten, fifteen thousand dollars. You can make a micro-budget horror film that is nothing more than a slasher spider film, right? If you want, that's fine. But you have to at least, in the script, come up to the standards of a regular A-list splatter and film. Every and of course, we all know there's a and mil- there's there's a lot of people who say they can write better. Here's the thing: prove it. Well, yeah, yeah, go ahead, do yeah. it. Put up or shut up. Anyway, continue on. 
So basically, both of our answers are is we dislike stupidity and non follow through when it comes to horror and lack of creativity and lack of creativity. Yeah. Well, so far we have answered five out of the seven questions to help expose ourselves to our audience. <laughs> like what I did there? Uh, you said ourselves. All right, so expo- uh, oh, right. expose <laughs> ourselves. Yes. So I should put this away? Uh, please do, sir. Oh, okay. <laughs> this may not be a family show, but nobody said, he- but nobody here or- nobody here wants to see that. <clears throat> what we're going to do is we are going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we will answer our final two questions on this Lethal Listings. Seven questions with the Brothers Grimm on Two Guys Talking Horror. We'll be right back. Being an outcast isn't something that all of us feel every now and then. It's been the subject of stories forever. Take, for example, the X-Men comic book series. In 1963, we were introduced to a number of characters that were different. Super strength, plasma bolts emitted from eye sockets, the ability to read minds, a man that could fly with angel's wings. In 2000, we were introduced to the X-Men on the silver screen. There, Professor X would teach not only his mutant students, but us, as viewers of film, what it meant to be a mutant. There have been more X-Men movies, and even another coming up. But where can you find the best discussion of all of the X-Men movies? Be sure to check out the X-Men Perspective Review Series at twoguystalking.com forward slash X-Men. Bullet point based detailed discussion from fans, fanboys, and mutants just like you. Join in the homo superior discussion at twoguystalking.com forward slash X-Men. That's the number two, guystalking.com forward slash X-Men. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can. With perpetual advertising, here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors.
the Feedback Gauntlet. What podcast will offer you a hundred bucks cash to tell people what you think? There isn't another one out there. And it's time for you to tell us what you think right now. Check out twoguystalking.com forward slash gauntlet to jump into the Two Guys Talking Feedback Gauntlet. We're looking for feedback about any program we have on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Follow the short instructions at twoguystalking.com forward slash gauntlet and you're entered instantly for a hundred bucks cash. What's this? Cash? For telling people what you think? Yes, cash. For telling people what you think. Twoguystalking.com forward slash gauntlet. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Two Guys Talking Horror. Victims or victimettes? Victims or victimettes? Yes. What? Yes. Who pulled your string? He did. <laughs> Stop touching his string, Jason. I can't help it. We are smack dab in the middle of lethal listings. Seven questions with the Brothers Grimm. A way for our audience to become a little bit more exposed to the three of us. I just like saying exposed to. Because <laughs> it sounds you naughty. You told me to put it away. Do I need to bring it back out again? No, do not bring it back out. Fine. All right. We're going to move it on. We're moving right along. Do, 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 do. Sorry, I can't help it. <laughs> Question number six. Who is your favorite horror Icon. Now, before we get into answers here, let's just clarify. Are we talking about, when we say horror icon, are we referring to creature, monster, or are we talking about star, director, or are we saying creature, icon monster. covers any of it? Icon covers everything. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if it's a an author, a filmmaker, a monster itself from a film, anything like that, All that's right. what it encompasses. A whole umbrella. Great. Jason, your favorite horror icon. Easy. Hands down, no question, Christopher Lee. Ah, the oh. great, late Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee, no question about it. In fact, as a kid, the first celebrity that I took notice of and knew by name was Christopher Lee. Mm. And I remember writing a letter, even, to Christopher Lee when I was, oh gosh, I don't know, I was probably about nine Somewhere around there. Wow. Yeah, sometime in the 80s. And he was off shooting. Oh, boy. I used to know what it was he was shooting at the time. It wasn't a horror film. It was some sort of... It may have been one of the Three Musketeers films. I don't know. But he was off shooting some sort of sword and swashbuckling kind of film. Right. And, of course, playing the villain in it. So he was not there when the letter arrived at uh, his office. But his assistant responded in kind and basically said that he was on location and couldn't couldn't respond at this time and i guess there was a stack of pre-signed photos and so they, she sent that so i actually have an autographed photo of christopher lee sent from from his home back in the 80s um, when i wrote to him but yeah he you know he was just great i i love his dracula i love his mummy i love all of the hammer films that he that he has shown up in and more so than that there are so many other films that he has done over the years 
one of my favorites is a, a film from the 80s called The House of Long Shadows. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, it's, it's a great film. It's a great mashup kind of movie. Uh, it's got Christopher Lee, Vincent Price, Peter Cushing, and uh, John Carradine. It's kind of a murder mystery, creepy old house kind of movie. And it's just so much fun. It's been a long time since I've seen it. It's a, it's a fun film. Actually, I was able to watch it for the very first time. After, you, after hearing you talk about it, I was a- able to watch it on Amazon Prime. Oh, and watching it, I enjoyed it. The thing, the the filmmaker aspect of me took over halfway through. Going, wow! If maybe they had about another five thousand dollars, yeah, the movie would have been even better because it was like they only had one light, so it had to be a very dark and shadowy yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that was my that was my biggest problem. I really half of the movie I can't really tell what's going on because it was so poorly lit. Yeah, they And they, I realized that it was because they didn't have the budget to be able to light as as well as they should have been. Well, and I think they spent their budget on Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing and Vincent Price and John Carradine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and, but um, uh, Desi Arnaz Jr. too. And Desi Arnaz Jr. is the the lead character. Yeah. So yeah, and it, and I just I've always loved uh, Christopher Lee and imagine my excitement when Lord of the Rings came along and and there's Christopher Lee, and he's he's playing Soromon. Yeah. How great is that? Which, funny little story, I, I'm sure people probably already know, but I'm going to share it anyway. <laughs> I, I believe that he actually went and, and when he approached Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh about the films, I believe he actually approached them to play Gandalf. Because he, he reads, or did, did he's read, passed yeah. now, but he, he did read the Lord of the Rings trilogy once a year, every year. It was his favorite uh, series of books, but um, yeah. So he was just beside himself to be a part of it, and, yeah. and just loved it. And then, and then, how exciting to have him be in Star Wars. It's unfortunate it was in those Star Wars movies, but it, he was still in Star Wars either way. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Christopher Lee, hands down. That's my answer. All right, Diesel. My favorite horror icon, unfortunately, is not a producer or actor. Okay, but. It was, if you asked me this a few years ago, I would have said, hands down, Jason Voorhees. His creation, his the ways he can kill you I, uh, are just by far my favorite. Like, uh, you've, you've heard me express many times my two favorite Jason kills. The one from Jason vs. Freddy, where the guy is in the bed, he stabs him a bunch of times, and then he takes the bed. Sandwiches him up, yeah. Yes. And, of course, the one from Jason X with the takes the girl, pushes her face into the uh, liquid nitrogen, smashes it. Oh, that's just a fun scene. Yeah. 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 But I, when I've learned what my true favorite type of horror is, I started leaning more towards uh, Pinhead. Oh. My favorite, Interesting. Yeah. My favorite Leader horror. of the Cenobites. Because he's so... He's a figure. He's imposing, and you see him. Well, you if you see him, you already know you're screwed. <laughs> well, yeah. He's so imposing, and he's so intelligent. He's not, and he doesn't really move a lot, but yet he makes such a presence on film whenever he's there, and he doesn't have to move. I like that. I like that for presence. He does have a presence. He's that's and that that is the thing about Pinhead. It's very. Especially those early Hellraiser films yes. are very almost Shakespearean yes. when Pinhead shows up. he's You want to hear what he has to say because he's he, he's always so eloquent yet so <laughs> dark and deadly. Yeah, and even if you just 
if you when you watch a hair and razor movie, you hear the chains. With no one there, if you just hear chains, you automatically just kind of go, oh, boy, here he comes. And then he steps in, and you know who's coming right next to him. Right. The Cenobites. Yep. All of them. And he just stands there. Doesn't do a thing, just stands. It's time to play. Well, it's also that uh, that fine line between uh, you know sadomasochism mm-hmm. and bondage and the the pleasure and pain and the pain and pleasure and the things like that, which makes some audience members very nervous. So I can understand why Hellraiser is an acquired taste. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, ironically, that whole bondage sadomas is not my thing. Right, right. But I just love the movie. I mean, and. Pinhead, he comes in, and he has a, nails in his head. Come on now. I mean, it's a simple thing, but it's effective. Sure, yeah. Oh, it has, yeah. It's it memorable. A, definitely, it definitely yeah, is memorable. It, they're like, what does he look like? He's just a dude with a bunch of nails in his head, all over his head. That's it. Yeah. Look at it and see. You look at it, and you go, oh. It's very stylish. It has it has a style all on its own yeah. that doesn't fit into any category. And yeah, that's yeah, it's, very it's unique. enticing. Yeah, very unique. unique. Yeah. yeah, and of course you can tell by my tattoos here. I'm a Pinhead fan. Yeah. You know? So yeah, my horror icon was Jason Voorhees, but it is now Pinhead. Used to be Jason, but has been knocked out by Pinhead. All right. Well, oh, I hate this question. I really do because I have. So many, I have I have admiration for uh, it, it, a little bit of everything. I, I, there's some directors that I love, some actors that I love, some monsters that I love, and it's really very difficult. This is a difficult question for me to answer. And I and when I came up with the question, I even came up with the fact that if case one of you said, you know what, I love zombies, that's an adequate answer. Yeah, but that's that so generalized. Not not it would have to be a specific zombie. But not it's really. not. It's not. It, uh, again, if if I was going, if I'm going with some ah, horror icon, and this is why you went last. Yeah. This. Yeah. This is why I'm answering last because I can't. I can't make up my. I can make up my mind. I just kind of feel like I'm. I'm leaving people out. It's kind of like accepting an award at a at the Oscars and like, oh God, I know I'm forgetting somebody. We're we're witnessing Sophie's choice of horror right here. <laughs> This is big time Sophie's choice because it's like a litter of kittens are in a basket and I have to pick one of those kittens and toss the rest of those ki- cute little kittens over the ravine. And that's a horrifying pro- prospect for me. Well, maybe you then are the horror icon that knows. Ah! No, no, I'm not a horror icon. Oh, we're getting into a whole different level of, uh, of discussion uh, What was now. it? What was it? Uh, I'm not a horror icon it, yet. <laughs> I love... I love monsters. I love our our slasher killers, but you know what? The hero, the the scrap of good that clings to my my inky black soul. There's one. There's one man who rises above it all, time after time, to take on every form of evil there is. My all time favorite horror icon is Ashley J. Williams. Portrayed by Mr. Bruce Campbell himself. Ash, I'm sorry, Ash is the horror icon. Just because he's the hero, he's faced everybody. Depending on, you know, in film, it, it, it books, comics, it does count. things like that. It, it all counts. In my, in, in my mind, it counts. Ash has gone up against everybody and has always walked away. So, there, there we go. There we go. That's the boomstick and the chainsaw 
and the and the smirk and the chin and the hair. You That's know, my icon. You know, he's also he's also one of the few icons to not just control and own the film industry and and own that kind of you know entertainment world in that corner mm-hmm. of the horror genre, but he transcends into everything. As you mentioned, he video games, comics. Yeah. Off, off, off Broadway, right. but but musical theater nonetheless. Evil I mean, Dead he, the musical, yeah. Yep, yep. Ash, I I see it. I totally get that. Ash has transcended into a different level from television. Characters. Ash for Dead. Television, yeah. yeah. He's he, he is he is the horror icon. <laughs> Question number seven: If you were creating your own horror film, what celebrity would you cast? To be the victim of an epic kill. Diesel? Morris Chestnut. Okay. Well, that was, wow, that, that was, was quick. <laughs> there was no pause there. <laughs> Morris, Morris Chestnut. Yep. I hate him. I want him to die. I want him to die hard. Oh, whoa, whoa. Okay. Okay. Well, why Why would you? Because he's Morris you, Chestnut. You do realize that this is, you're, you're making a film. He's not really dying. But I still... But I, it, Okay. Morris Chestnut is my answer, and I'm sticking to it. Cool. You can't just say it and not explain it. Fine. Okay. I just don't like him. I'm sorry. I don't like his face. So if I get a chance to disfigure the face and destroy it, yay! But you don't. This is it's fake. But I it's a it's happy to me. It makes me happy that I get to watch it over and over again if I'm making a film. Okay. So so you, what you're saying is is that because your your personal dislike for this person. Okay, would, fine. All right, all right. Ca- no, no, no. I'm fine with it, but but because of your personal dislike of this celebrity, if you had the opportunity to make a horror film and put them in it, you would put them in it so that you could simulate killing them, knowing full well that they get to walk away at the end of the shooting day, though. Actually, okay, I'll change my. Actually, I do want to change my answer. <laughs> I would think so because the question was not what celebrity would you like to kill. It was. What celebrity would you like to be a part of an epic kill in a horror film? Will Ferrell. Oh, okay. okay. Now, I'm, now, now, because, I'm, now you have my attention. Beca- I have your attention. You have my attention. Okay, because it's Will Ferrell. He mm-hmm. would make he would make the kill memorable right? and hilarious. Because right. I would write it and make it and script it to where he gets an it's an epic kill. Because a is Will Ferrell, right? And two, I want it to be as funny as possible. He would make it one of the most memorable kills ever. Even though, even though people will say, "Why do you want to kill Will Ferrell?" It's Will Ferrell. I love Will Ferrell. I think he's hilarious. Anchorman's one of my favorite movies of right, all time. Yeah. But imagine how funny and memorable it would be to see him killed in a movie. No, I'm. I'm actually now. I kind of really want. I'm. I'm with you. I want Will Ferrell to do a horror movie just so I can watch him get killed. That 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 yeah, sounds good. Because okay, he would make it. Awesome, and then he'll get up. Was that good? Uh, or, or do I need do I need to fall again? No, okay, should I should, should I do the screaming and thing? Go, ah! Should I do it again? No. Okay, uh, we're good. Sure, I can do another one. It's Will Ferrell. That's what he would do. All That's right, why. Will Ferrell. My turn, Nick. Yeah, there's quite a few celebrities that I think have the acting range to pull off a decent kill. I would really actually depend on what type of horror movie I'm making. If I'm making a tongue-in-cheek horror movie, then, you know, you get somebody hammy like David Hasselhoff or even William Shatner, somebody like that. If I'm making a legitimate horror film where... Yes, legitimate. Well, 
again, this this all it, it all makes for an interesting debate among myself. But if I was going to make if I was making a horror film, it would probably actually be a little bit of a little bit of tongue in cheek. I think I would really want to see Alan Rickman, rest his soul. I would like to see Alan Rickman in a horror film and die. Because we've seen him die in action films. We've seen him die in, in musicals. We've seen him die in fantasy films. We've never seen him die in a horror movie. I would, I would, I would cast Alan Rickman as my epic kill. Because I think he would bring a certain class to the death scene. Okay. All right. I can see that. Was it my turn? Yeah, no, it's, your turn. Yeah, it's my yeah, turn. Yeah. Um, We're all eyes are on you. Hey, I gave the, you kind of all over, right? Me? No, I don't count. I'm not a celebrity. You would um, cast yourself. I would cast wow, myself. Yeah. Talk about the narcissist. I know. Well, you know me. Uh, no, I think I think my choice would be Daniel Day Lewis. Ooh, uh. I think I would love to see Daniel Day Lewis in a horror film, and I'd love to see him as probably as the killer i think and i would love to see the epic kill of him at the end of the film because oh. daniel day lewis to me is one of the finest actors certainly of today if not of all time hmm. I, I think that he's an absolutely brilliant performer and i think that him can you doing... imagine no, i'm sorry can you imagine because you know he's a method actor he gets into the character even throughout the filming so you cast him as a killer can you imagine him in character, even off camera, as a killer. Which may be why he hasn't done them. <laughs> um, True. I, yeah. I, I can, you know, I can just, I just think that he's incredibly talented. And I, I just think that his, his epic death scene would be something to really, really get into yeah. and you really see. I would love if somebody actually did it. I mean, I'm pretty sure they have done it. But if somebody decided to make a Jack the Ripper movie i think he would play it perfect well i mean there's been plenty of jack the ripper movies yeah. it's kind of hard to actually play jack the ripper when you really don't know who jack the ripper was but still can you imagine that would i can imagine daniel day lewis playing kermit the frog in the kermit the frog biography so yes of course i can imagine that i mean i could imagine daniel day lewis playing an inanimate object in 90 minutes of a film i mean you know he's daniel day lewis yeah. Yeah. so all right well, there they are. Those are the seven questions for the Brothers Grimm on this episode of Lethal Listings. And I want to take the time now to call the audience. Audience, we've had seven questions. We've given seven answers. Now it's your turn. Head on over to our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Fill out the short web form on the right and let us know. You can answer all the questions, all seven. You can pick and choose. Doesn't matter to us. We just want to know what would be your answer for one of the seven questions that the Brothers Grimm answered on this episode. So until next time, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your host. I'm Jason Contini, your co-host. And your other co-host, Diesel Adams. And we'll see you next time. Congratulations, you've survived this episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. We hope you were entertained and informed by our program. Take what you have learned and pass it on to your family and friends. It may just save their lives someday. Have questions? Comments? Suggestions for a future episode? 
visit our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side and fill out our short web form. It's the easiest way to interact with the hosts. Beware of monsters, creatures, and all things that go bump in the night. And keep telling yourself, it's only a podcast. It's It's only only a podcast. It's only a podcast. It's It's only a podcast. It's only a podcast. It's It's only a a podcast.
I'm fine with an all-female Ghostbusters. I just don't like that cat. Well, Melissa McCarthy's okay, but I don't. I don't like Kristen Wiig. I can only take so long. No, I'm, it's just no. I, I don't like. I don't. If like they did an all-female Ghostbusters with Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. Fuck yeah, I'd be there. That but, would be a no. That'd be a no-brainer. I, 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 personally speaking, I wouldn't have a problem with an all-female. I don't have a problem with an all-female Ghostbusters if. It wasn't a remake. If it was a sequel to the... If yep. this was mm-hmm. a continuation of I what be came before, and it just happened to be four women yep. with their own franchise being Ghostbusters... It has nothing to do with sexism. I'd be fine. It has nothing to do with sexism. It has everything to do because with... Because when you get that. into sexism and racism... It's not let me sexism. Ask, it just no. doesn't feel right. Ah, eh, let, let me ask you a question. Why no, but I mean, the, that's what everybody's compla- complaining about. Well, let me ask you a question. Why are all the scientists white women... And the only black woman is the loud, obnoxious woman who works in the subway system. It's pretty stereotyped. I, I'm, I, I would think that there'd be more outcry because of that People instead love of her, though, just, so. being, just being the fact that it's four women. I have no problem with the fact that it's four women. It just so happens that the non-scientist is black just like... The original Ghostbusters. Oh. Yet this isn't supposed to have anything to do with the original Ghostbusters. So if it has nothing to do with the original Ghostbusters, why are we falling in those stereotypes? No, but uh, that yeah, we can we can, <laughs> that, we can yeah, that's, that's an episode. That's a that's a podcast for a different time. Wow, have we been recording all this time? We have. Okay. <laughs> Hold on, wait a minute. Let me make sure. Yes, we have been we have been recording this time. <laughs> all right, hey, all you made me paranoid right there. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, we're we're all good. Okay. Hmm. Made me paranoid right there. Let me get that in real quick. Okay. okay. Go ahead and open your go ahead and open your drink. <laughs> you hydrated? You good? Yes. Okay. 